When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Pod Divided here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ. Also here, down there in Tequila, Georgia, my good friend, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green is here. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. I um, I am glad to be back. This is uh, long overdue. We usually don't take Super Bowl Sunday kind of threw us off there. Um, but yeah, yep. man, I'm, uh, I'm definitely repping UNG, but I'm not a celebrity at UNG like you over here, man. Uh, shaking hands with the president and whatnot on, uh, <laughs> at mid court of basketball games, Chase Thomas, big time over here. Hey, shout out to, uh, president Shannon, uh, who invited me, uh, to go to the game and sat in the champions club, with my family and my lovely wife, Sam, and got to spend the day, uh, doing North Georgia stuff, touring, doing that kind of thing. And, uh, talking about the future of UNG athletics and got to see a fun overtime game. The men's team, unfortunately not able to come through an OT, but, uh, it was a, it was a really fun experience. So, uh, excited about what's to come there, but, uh, it was a really good time. So very very grateful uh, that uh, that was an opportunity um, for me and uh, my family. But yeah, no, we're always repping North Georgia on this podcast, Matt Green. Uh, it's it's Nighthawk always, no matter where we are in our pod dividedness with the Tennessee Volunteers and the Georgia Bulldogs. Our UNG uh, connection will remain. I've talked to people about it. Where exactly. Like, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here right now if not for no. UNG. That's true. So once a Nighthawk, always a Nighthawk. And uh, we'll see. We got to get Matt Green in there next. I need to, uh, we just need to expand this connection because you're a local man. You're, uh, oh, yeah. you're over. Champions Club? Tri- I'd, I'd love to be part of that Champions Club. It's a pretty Hit cool time. Up, UNG. There you go. Um, it's a new basketball coach, though, right? I was pretty tight with the old basketball coach um, now that I'm blanking on his name. But um, I, I interviewed him a few times, a basketball preview and all that. But, um, yeah, it's uh, I think it's a new guy from from back in the day. I think he's been here four or five years, I want to say. 
Um, okay. So relatively new, but he's fiery, man. Like he's getting out. Like he was getting after the officials. He's fiery, man. He's an old school kind of college coach where he was. He's uh, he's emotional. Wearing the suit and tie. Most guys are wearing the quarter zips now. We're in the, the quarter zip sweatpant era of uh, co- of college coaching. And no, man, he was wearing the suit and tie on roaming the sidelines on Saturday last week. Speaking of, that's like the pandemic was the best thing that's happened to uh, men's basketball fashion. As far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned, I don't get the suit like it just it doesn't mm-hmm. make sense to be in a full suit. No disrespect. Dan Evans, that's mm-hmm. the head basketball coach. No disrespect, Dan Evans out there. But um, I feel like just the the comfortable, like those breathable uh, athletic polos or three quarter zips, like you're saying, with like mm. some some khakis and some basketball shoes, like some sort of athletic shoes. Like it makes sense. It makes a lot more sense than a suit and and dress shoes being on a basketball court. I, I think so. Um, they look more comfortable. Um, obviously, it permeated into the workplace. Uh, I mean, as people get more casual True. there. Um, were there, you ever a suit and tie? Did you ever have to do the suit and tie? No, never had to go in the office of suit and tie. And even okay. when I did go in the office, it, it's it was always like a ca- casual dressy. But um, is there a football coach that's responsible for that? Because at some point, coaches, you know, Tom Landry, you know, all those like they were in suits on the sideline back in the day. At some and at some point, they just weren't. Is there a was there a time period that ended? Was that like the 80s or something? No, I mean, it was before. I mean, it was later than that. I mean, Belichick, obviously, with the hoodie um, and he's he even would chop off his long sleeve hoodie. The suits uh, have been gone for a while now. How long? I guess I'd have to think about it when the I'd, last we'd have time. to look into that. Get, get our, our fashion uh, because on, they, on the they definitely went away before um, high or college suits went away. I mean, Will Hall at Southern Miss, I don't know if he's still doing that, but he was wearing a suit and tie a year ago, still roaming the sidelines. So that was one that took a little bit longer. There's out, some outliers here and there. Yeah. But uh, like, what's his name? Minnesota. PJ um, Flex Still rocking the tie. But he does a quarter zip over it, I feel like. If yeah. I remember correctly, yeah. It's not the most formal tie, no. No. Um, but yeah, just dress for the occasion, you know, and it feels more <laughs> comfortable. Like you want to be comfortable in, in that. Well, regard. uh, D division two basketball and men's fashion, uh, before we lose everybody uh, that's listening, we should probably get into some college football talk, sir. We sh- we're rusty, man. We haven't talked in two <laughs> weeks. Like we have, uh, we've been, uh, we've been away, man. It's, uh, it's been a busy time, uh, for both of us, but you know, we're back and we're going to talk some college football here, even in the heart of the off season, the dead period here in February. So not even a lot of recruiting buzz really at the moment. Um, some coaches moving around all across the sec. Um, you got Nick Sheridan, maybe being the new OC cause Ryan Grubb goes to, um, uh, Seattle to be the new Seahawks OC. And then you have Liam Cohen leaving the the Kentucky to go be the Bucks OC. Um, you've got Georgia on both sides losing uh, their top recruiter this offseason on both sides of the ball uh, with Fran Brown on defense and Brian McClendon on offense. Uh, so wide receivers coach is something they'll be looking at. Um, Tennessee losing Jerry Mack, the running backs coach to the Jaguars for the same position. And then also Brian John Marie goes back home to Michigan to join his friend Sharon Moore's staff at UM. So a lot of movement in the conference, um, even here in mid-February, because, and I was talking um, with Ryan Schumbert on the Tennessee Ball Sports Guy show earlier today about this, where I don't know what the numbers are on this, and I'd be curious to see them, but 
it feels like this cycle, and I wonder if you agree, Matt, that there's been way more college poaching this cycle for the NFL than in a really long time. Because when you think about it, Mike McDonald, I mean, Jesse Minner comes in from Michigan. So you bring in Harbaugh to the Chargers, uh, Grubb to the Seahawks. Jerry Mack takes the running backs coach. Uh, Florida's had coaches picked off uh, for the NFL. Liam Cohen gets picked off for the Bucks. Like I, I, to not relitigate the whole thing, but like a lot of college coaches have been picked off um, late in the cycle because the NFL obviously hires after the college game. But I just I don't know. I feel like this was an especially vicious NFL hiring cycle for big time college programs. Um, I don't know if you felt the same. I'm not sure if if I feel like there was anything different um, in terms of like the number of movements. I think the most different thing was was seeing a guy like Jeff Halfley leave mm-hmm. to be a coordinator, you know, and seeing Chip Kelly flirt with. NFL teams to be a coordinator and ended up taking another college coordinator job, just kind of shocking everybody, which Ohio state. I mean, that's probably what if if there's 32 NFL teams, Ohio state's like the 33rd, 34th -hmm. team. Like, I mean, they're, they're practically a a pro roster. Um, So it's there, there might be like hardball. We, we see you guys every few years, I guess. When was the last college coach to just go straight to the, to being a head coach and, like I know, Kling- Kingsbury was fired mm-hmm. and then f- hired by the Cardinals. Uh, was he the last one that j- that was a straight from college to the NFL? Um, let me think here. Uh, I mean, uh, and Harbaugh was it's Harbaugh Urban. close Urban. on the list. Like when he did it, Urban even Stanford. Hey, there you go, Urban. So there's one, and, and he was a little different because he came out of yeah. retirement to to um go to the NFL. So I guess I guess it has been a few years since we yeah. just had a successful head coach in college get that promotion if you want to call it that that just mm-hmm. taking it up to the next level but it's also just a lot of coordinators and positional coaches moving up and stuff like that i mean probably a lot of work life balance upgrades and this that and the other but i just but think that that's a lot pretty standard right like that's mm-hmm. why i like that's going to happen and like i like i saw someone framed it i don't know if it's adam schefter like oh another college coach going to the pros with brian mcclendon it's like that's a wide receiver coach taking a wide receiver coach passing game coordinator job in the NFL. Like that's pretty standard. That's not mm. anything kind of, Oh wow. A coordinator or actually didn't somebody else like, uh, Oh, we, we didn't even talk about uh Georgia state. Yeah. Um, Sean Elliott, Sean Elliott. South Carolina, but I don't know that. I think the, the timing of it is what's just kind of thrown everything off this, this cycle. I think that's with Nick Saban, after the playoff retiring, it felt like that that started a lot of things in motion. And then just teams having to hire a guy immediately and say, hey, come play for this guy. And then at the whatever, whatever the expression is at the at the final hour, uh, Grubbs bounces on Alabama and goes to the Seahawks. Like being a college coordinator to going to be a pro coordinator seems like a pretty standard upgrade. Like that's nothing out of the ordinary with that, especially if it kind of geographically makes sense staying in Seattle, like, like Grubbs did. But I think the timing of everything and just so, so far after the fact, the fact that the carousel is not over yet, it just, it feels so drawn out right now. No, you're, you're right. I mean, there's just moving all across the board. I mean, Georgia state had like pause spring practice. Like they just got it like the spring games off and everything. Um, but Elliot has had a really interesting theory on this where it's like guys restarting the clock where Sean, uh, 
Elliott would have gotten fired probably with how much he lost in his roster and was picked apart from this cycle. And if George State's a bad year, then it's going to be hard for him to get another job. Now he gets to go in the the Shane Beamer, um, uh, just kind of family and just kind of hide out for a little bit, depending on how long he's there and pick his next spot, right? Like he's going to be, he'll have another G5 opportunity um, next couple years, but it's also like family. There's always more to it where I think his family still lives in Columbia. So he's been going back and forth a lot. And I think his kids play high school um in columbia still so it was a work-life balance and that sort of thing move and everything's different and jeff halfley would he survived another year at boston college based on where it was heading or does he jump now smartly to get an nfl job and land on his feet versus getting fired and trying to get a job and chip kelly obviously um was he nearing the end there was so much flirting with both sides of breaking apart did he finally just be like hey how much of it was just they're gonna fire me at some point so i need to get out of here before I get fired. So I think that's a lot of it too. So I think every situation, especially on the coach head coach front is a little bit different, but um, I just, the calendar is just so messed up and it's just a reminder this year and that the NFL is behind the college calendar is making it that much worse this cycle too. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we've talked about. Like, why are we pretending like these guys aren't in the same, you know, industry like that? They, mm-hmm. they don't just move throughout, but, um, but yeah, it, it's, this pro this offseason has definitely shown us a lot a lot of the flaws as if we didn't already know what the flaws were but i would say i speak for most college football fans we have a college football podcast here and we're, we should be experts on the sport but i think most college football fans did not know about the little 30-day window mm. uh, after a coach leaving after until nick saban did it i think that that's when mm. everyone was like Oh, so the portal just opens for their roster. And that's like, okay, now the portal's opening for Washington's roster. Now the portal's opening for Michigan's roster. It's it's like this, it's just kind of what are we doing here? We need to just have a free agency period, a, a signing period, like not just have this thing going on. It's oh well, you can poach their roster, but you can't poach their roster. It's and it's just kind of all it's all messed up. So hopefully well, I think we the can part get of that point. though, that if you do that, cause I've heard people talk about like shortening the transfer window to the, the first one to like 10 days, seven days, whatever. I'm like, great, but you're still gonna have to have that 30 day window for guys when their coach leaves. So if you're going to do that for players, I'm okay with it. But then you have to do for coaches, like put it in their contract or something where it's like, if you leave during this period or this, that you have to leave now. And I, I don't know if NFL teams are going to sign up for that, you know, obviously because their season might not be over this, and the other. but like the, the Michigan Bama situation, I just don't know how you avoid that year over year because you're going to have to open that up. And those schools are always going to get the raw, uh, the short end of the stick because they, yeah, sure. They have 30 days to, keep their roster but it's also like you don't have the guys in the portal to go get you know what i mean like i just think you're no matter what in this new era i think it's always going to be difficult that first year i mean hypo we saw here with like 30 guys out the door immediately and you're just trying to i mean it's just hard it just feels like no matter what when you walk into a year one job for most places it's just it's just going to be kind of kind of crappy i think and as as much as you know, we like to pretend everyone's playing the same game. Uh, when Jameer Gibbs gets poached from Georgia Tech and Al- and he's a star at running back for Alabama, no one really feels sorry for Georgia Tech, you know. But when Alabama can't even hold on to their star player, everyone's sitting back like, okay, whoa, we gotta what's going on with this sport? We need to figure out what to do. Yeah, and I mean. Look, it's one of those things where they should be able to do the athlete should be able to do whatever 
it's just like college students they should be able to move if we're able to transfer every semester as college students they should be able to transfer like the parameters aren't in place and if we're gonna operate under this assumption then like that's how it's got to be and i just think um it <laughs> we're just it's just going to continue to be uh a lot a lot going on i just i don't see that changing anytime soon because when you when somebody thinks they have the answer to kind of slow things down or make it a little bit easier for these coaches especially i just i think there's a counter always when i read this and i listen to this there's always a counter of like well if you do that then this will happen and if you do this then this will happen and just seems like there's not going to be this uniform uniform uh solution to uh some of the the issues that are um currently uh within college football but look the ratings have never been better sports never been better uh interest uh for college football and the 12 team playoff and everything else um has never been higher and here we are on a year-round college football podcast matt green talking uh talking ball so we'll see uh how things i think things will continue to be tinkered with uh over the next several months to years and who knows maybe nick saban's running things uh sooner rather than later and fixing stuff and maybe things get a little less chaotic, uh, especially for the coaching staff and hopefully for the players with more, uh, more certainty and more understanding about how this all works and protecting them when their coach leaves, because it's not fair to the kids um, when their coach leads late leaves late in the cycle. Um, and they're kind of left to figure things out on the fly. And that's gotta be really hard. Do you trust the new guy and that you're going to hold your spot or you're going to fit their scheme or do you jump out? And um, I think it's just hard both ways. So I hope it gets fixed sooner rather than later, but uh, we shall see, Matt Green. Um, dog oh, bites. Oh, also, yeah, go ahead. Also, just remembered, Chris Faulkner. That was mm-hmm. the old UNG basketball coach. The name, ju- the name just came to me mm-hmm. because I edited this video. When you said a lot, it like legit like made, it registered in my mind. There's this video where he said it a certain way. And, and you know when you edit videos, like you just hear it a hundred times mm-hmm. when you're doing it? It just set it off for me. So, yeah, I just remembered his name. He's, I think, still with UNG. He was the head coach for like 15 years. Okay. Good call. Good um, pull. But, yeah. Sammy, Another Sammy, random Sammy, UNG basketball. Um, mm. But, yeah. Dog bites. You ready for it? I'm ready for dog bites, sir. Our weekly installment here on this program where Matt, the UGA expert, uh, dropped some dog bites for us. So, what do you have for us this week, sir? I got some dog bites for you this week. So last week we were talking about um, Georgia's pass catchers and what they've been the last three years, how they've really, uh, you know, taken off uh, in terms of production, um, gotten much more consistent than in years past. Well, I don't know if you saw, there's a little uh, kerfuffle, maybe that's the term, um, with a former UGA running back on social media, kind Mm -hmm. of regretful of his decision uh, mm-hmm. to go to the University of Georgia. Never really was the guy. Uh, always had to sit behind other good running backs. So it got me thinking, what are we going to expect from Georgia's running back position in 2024? So you look at like what Georgia typically was um, when Kirby Smart first took over. Back in 2017, everyone knows about Nick Chubb and Tony Michelle. Two 1,200-plus yard rushers that year. The next year with with uh, with Swift and Holyfield, two thousand yard rushers. You got to go back to twenty nineteen. DeAndre Swift rushed for over twelve hundred yards. It's the last time Georgia had a thousand yard rusher. You that's so they haven't really had that guy that you just feed the rock to like they they and the, they like they've typically had in the first years under Kirby Smart. You look at the the running backs Georgia's put in the NFL. 
since Kirby Smart arrived, of the four guys, or of the, I should say, six that have been drafted, four of them are first or second round picks. So that's like mm. big time, high level uh, NFL prospects. And James Cook was the last one, but even he didn't have the college production. Zamir White was the leading rusher on that team. Uh, Kenny McIntosh was a seventh round pick after having a really productive year in 2022. Uh, but you look at 2023 with, with Dejon Edwards and um, and uh, Kendall, Mc- Kendall Milton this past year, both roughly 800 yards, did, uh, you know, uh, just under six yards of carry between the two of them. 2022, it was uh, it was more of a three-headed, but but McIntosh was the lead guy. Kind of the same thing. A couple guys over 700 yards rushing. No one kind of averaging a lot. Five yards of carry. 2021, same thing with 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 uh, Zamir White and James Cook. You're not seeing the the level of production. Maybe it's because Georgia's become a better passing attack, but it's also not the yards per carry. Like. Nick Chubb was averaging six yards a carry on more carries than any of these guys have gotten. Uh, Sonny Michelle was up near eight yards a carry. Uh, DeAndre Swift was over six and a half yards a carry. You're seeing a lot of five yards a carry, and part of it's part of it, I think, is the not having elite talent at running back, and part of it, I think, is the offensive line hasn't been necessarily as elite in in run blocking as you'd expect with some of these guys, how highly ranked they are coming out of high school. So. I, I'm really curious to see 2019, or also going back to two, 2020 is the one year left out. Uh, Zamir White had just over 800 yards, um, and James Cook had 300 yards that year. And that's a 10-game season, so it's a little different. But you haven't seen elite rushing production from George in a while. And DeAndre Swift in in uh, back in 2019 got almost double the carries of Brian Herrian, who's the second uh, leading car- leading rusher that year. And so I think this is the first year since 2019 that you really look at Georgia's backfield and you think, okay, th- that one running back is much better than anyone else on the roster. So I'm, I'm curious to see if Trevor Etienne comes in and has maybe that DeAndre Swift kind of year where Georgia splits carries, but he's clearly getting the number one load. Does it matter for Georgia if that's the case? I think it matters in terms of I don't there's not much proven like commodities in their backfield. Mm-hmm. Like you look at who it's going to be next year, like who's the number 2 guy on Georgia's just off the top of your head? Like who would you say is the number 2 guy? Uh Robinson, Branson Robinson. See, probably Branson Robinson I think would be most people's answer, but I think he had a pretty bad injury, and you don't always know what a guy's going to be coming off an injury. Roderick Robinson was was decent at, in a limited carries as a, as a true freshman last year. Like I would probably put him up there uh, with Branson Robinson, maybe Andrew Paul, and then you start talking about true freshmen that we haven't seen do anything. So ETN's going to come in and be by far the most proven back on this roster, and I, I don't think it's – and he hasn't necessarily carried the load either. You know, he's had Montreal Johnson. Just I, I don't know. I haven't had the stats right in front of me, but I feel like they were basically 50-50 splitting carries. Um, at least more like a Holyfield Swift situation. So I don't um I don't really know what to expect from from Georgia's running backs outside of ETN. And obviously he's coming into a new offense. I, I think running back is probably the easiest position to transfer into any to translate in any offense you you get the ball and you make people miss like it's it seems more simple than than other positions but 
yeah, I think uh, I think you're going to see Georgia with the first thousand yard rusher since since DeAndre Swift in 2019. I think that's a really good call, and I think that's very very possible. I also just think it's going to be a two headed monster, and I also just I just think this Georgia team, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I just think they're going to be a pass first team. Like Carson's going to air it out more. I think a lot of people are curious if he opens it up more downfield. Maybe that was more of a personnel thing that they weren't taking a lot of deep shots last year. I wonder if that's something that's added uh, into the playbook for Bobo for Carson this year to just flex that muscle and flex that skill um, for NFL scouts this fall. But I just I think I wonder about the I think the thing that makes me more confident than anything that ETN's going to go over a thousand is teams generally speaking obviously to run out the clock Georgia's going to be up the majority of the games uh they're they're in this season and I think ETN's going to have a lot of opportunity to uh carve up yards in the third and fourth quarter when Georgia's crockpotting uh the majority of their schedule and with a lit a not limited but a uh a situation that you outlined where it's just not as much um known depth and just comfortable depth ETN is going to get the ball a lot. And I think uh, ETN, I think a lot of Georgia fans maybe don't anticipate ETN being uh, the lead kind of superstar ish back for Georgia um, because he was a two headed monster in Florida and he wasn't the guy. But I think you're right in that my gut says he's going to be the lead back and have the opportunity to be kind of this uh, big transfer home run kind of guy uh, for for Georgia this year. And I think he's going to be um, a big part for the dogs is that weird for you just cheering for is it gonna be weird for you uh with etn florida the last couple of years to now be cheering for him uh it's it's funny you say that because i think there's a natural like me uh, me and my brother were talking about this there's just like a natural to hate on on florida players you know they're they're your rival but he's like the one player and, and there's probably a couple other players that like i never said a bad word about i was like yeah mm-hmm. you know he's, he's pretty tight I, I i don't hate on him um, so it's kind of funny that, yeah, well, I didn't hate on him because he's actually good enough to play at Georgia. And these days, Florida doesn't have that many players, as crazy as it is to say, that actually could play at Georgia. Yeah. Well, like, we'll yeah, see. I, I like that stat. I, I would go over for ETN a thousand yards. I would go over. I think so. Because the other point you made, too, I think Georgia's going to be winning a lot of games. I think you've seen 2023 and 2022, the, the rushing stats look a lot better than that though either of those teams really were at running the ball because and not to just disrespect Kendall Milton but I feel like a lot of his production in 2022 and 2023 was that pounding it in the fourth quarter and he gets 50 60 more yards in the fourth quarter and Georgia had like a top 30 top 25 rushing attack both of those years Mm. whereas I feel like when the game was truly on on the line like uh in the first half Georgia was usually more 50-50 and having more success passing than running. I don't disagree. Um, but I got I got one more, oh, got yeah, one go more ahead. thing for you. Do you I, I wanted to rank the Georgia running backs like okay. we did with the with the Georgia pass catchers. So um the top five is kind of easy. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go deep tracks. I'm gonna go top the top 10 running backs of the 21st century. We're, we're gonna just cut it off right there. Herschel Walker's the GOAT, you know, everyone knows that. Garrison Hurst, Roddy Hampton. They got some great ones back in the day. Terrell Davis. Of the starting in the 21st century, I'm going number one, Todd Gurley. Mm-hmm. Nick Chubb, more yards, more productive, better Georgia career. I'm putting Nick Chubb two. No Sean Marino. I'm going number three. Sony Michelle, number four, and DeAndre Swift, number five. What do you think about the that top five right there? 
Say it again. Say the last three again. I got Gurley, Chubb, one, two, no Sean, Michelle, and Swift, two, three, four, five. Hold on. Did, wait, you just changed it. Say one through five again. What did you just do? Hold on. Do it one more Gurley time. Gurley is one. Yeah. Chubb is two. Uh-huh. No Sean Marino is three. Okay. Tony Michelle, four. DeAndre Swift, five. I mean, it's clear Gurley won. Um, no Musa Smith love, as we talked about two weeks ago. I knew <laughs> you weren't going to do it. Love. I knew you weren't going to do it. I don't know. You know what's interesting, too, that's going to be hard for those guys, is that, like, they obviously, Chubb and Gurley had the connection, then Michelle and um, Swift have the connection, that you don't really know what it would have been like if they were just the guy by themselves, but they were just these two-headed monsters at Georgia that um, you just got to enjoy both. I think Gurley got a little bit more uh, individual um, pub and so did uh, Chubb than uh, Michelle and um, uh, why, why am I blanking? Michelle and um, Michelle and Chubb. Chubb. Wait, no, Michelle and Chubb and Michelle were the ones that yes. were together. And then Swift right. was like with Holyfield. And, Swift, yes. Or Swift was like the third with Chubb yeah. and Michelle in 2017. And I don't know. It just, Swift was solid, but it never felt like he was an all-time George running back. I think Kendall Milton's the biggest what if. I also think you, you know what? I take, I would take Swift out and put uh, Zamir White. Oh, no chance. I think Zemir I would put Zamir White, White there. I'll get to my six through 10, but DeAndre Swift had like superstar ability. And it's like, he was always, is maybe he's dinged up, like share, shared carries. Like it was always something kind of missing with his career at Georgia. But I feel like when you saw he was the only one that like was an elite talent, like some of these other ones. Um, but then six through 10, I go Kenny McIntosh, six, James Cook, seven, Musa Smith, eight, Thomas Brown, nine, and Zamir White, 10. Zamir's too low. I think Zamir is being undervalued by you. I just, he, he didn't, he just wasn't special. Like he was supposed to be. And after what, two ACL surgery, was it three, was it at least two ACL mm. uh, injuries. I Was it three? I think he had two at Georgia. If I'm and like one was a senior in high school. I'm not sure, but he just, he, I doubt he was as good as the prospect he was supposed to be before the injuries. He was still a good player, but I mean, you look at the two years where he was getting number one carries. He's averaging like five yards a carry, like seven, eight hundred yards. Like he was fine. James Cook was dynamic. Like, yeah, did everything. Like Kenny McIntosh in 2023, like his his first few games, like all of his production was like receiving instead of rushing. So he got off to kind of a slow start. But Kenny McIntosh, I think, might be the most underrated running back Georgia's had in in recent history because he was a uh, he was a uh, just dynamic catching the ball and and running it and then thomas brown just a solid guy for for four years i always remember thomas brown and no sean doing the crank that soldier boy in the black uniforms against auburn um, oh yeah that, of them. that's an all-time moment right there uh for for georgia fans um but yeah and tom where is thomas brown now i know it was he He's the, he was Carolina. the Panthers this past year. I think he might still be on staff. For, he's somewhere in the NFL now. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's moving up in the in the he's NFL. He's in the McVay game. Um, he is now at the Bears as their uh, run and uh, their pass game coordinator for the Bears. Okay, so he's going to be the one to blame uh, for Justin Fields next year. He went to Tucker. Didn't realize that. 
Oh yeah. Um, 37. I also think, Oh, this is going to be funny. Get how many yards do you think Musa Smith ran for his junior year at, uh, Georgia? Uh, I would say like 1250 or something like that. 1324. Oh yeah. It was a big year. 260 carries, man. That junior year for Musa rounder, uh, to third round of the Ravens third round. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Big time year. 2002 sec champs, big time year. That man gobbled up the carries. Uh, man, I, I saw Musa Smith live. I went to my parents took me to Old Miss, Georgia um, in 2002. Eli Manning year. Okay. Oh, yeah. The the Moose chance back in mm-hmm. the day. That was a, that was good stuff. He was a fan favorite for sure. Um, There you go, Matt Green. Um, I like these every week. Uh, Stock watch. Something else we're doing uh, during this offseason, sir. Buying or selling wazoo stock in the post pack 12 era sir i mean you have to sell it right i mean it's without being in the pack 12 like without playing usc and playing oregon and playing washington like why are we going to care about washington state honestly like i just it sucks because i love having uh those college games on the West coast. Like I, I swear any other day of the week, like NFL, I'm watching one o'clock games. I'm falling asleep by like four 30, five o'clock at the start, like first quarter of those four o'clock games. I'm usually fall, falling asleep for a little afternoon nap. Those, those Saturday night pack 12 games. Like I'm up till one, 2 AM on Saturday night. Like I'm, I'm not missing those games. So I'm, I'm bummed, but I mean, if they're not going to be in that conference, I don't think I'm going to tune in the same way when Washington, uh, Washington State's playing, you know, San Jose State or something like that. It just doesn't Colorado State. I don't know who they're going to end up playing uh, moving forward. I think I'm buying and I think some programs because they've pledged that they're going to still operate at a power five budget for at least a little while. And their schedule is nice. I mean, it's going to be weird. I don't know if this is right, but they play Washington in the Apple Cup now in early September because of the Big Ten scheduling. So the Apple Cup, I don't think, is going to be the last week of the season. But hey, at least they're still playing. Hey, at it. least we're getting in. I love yeah. it. Texas Tech coming there this year. But you get Portland State, San Jose State, new coach right there at home. You go to Corvallis for the Pac-12 title game. And then you go to San Diego <laughs> State. That'll be tough. At Boise at Fresno, Do they at, at least New Mexico, play Oregon State like the last game of the season. Uh, they, they might because or they no, they won't it? because it's the twenty third. I have it. It's that one's already set for the twenty third of November. Are we going to call um, that the Pac twelve championship? They should do that. Um, but I'm looking at all of this, Matt Green. I like their OC Young Arbuckle up there. He's a bright offensive mind. You have a good defensive minded coach in Dickert. He did, has shown that he can do a lot with less. Cam Ward's been good the last couple of years. Here's what's going to happen for some of these schools that have moved on Cal to the ACC, um, Washington to the big 10. Like it's going to be an easy adjustment for some like USC will be fine. I think in the big 10 or like they're going to recruit just fine. Oregon's going to be just fine. in The big 10, but Wazoo, there's going to be some at large bids. Like there's going to be teams that make the playoff um, that are not a part of this power Two era. Wazoo is in a great position if they when they merge with the Mountain West, if that's what ends up happening here and we get the Pac-12 rebrand and all that as the Pac-12 with the Mountain West connection. 
Wazoo is going to be in a good spot to still make the playoff. Like, I think they're in a better spot than some of these programs that have joined the super conferences that don't have the super conference resources and aren't going to recruit at that level where it's ever going to be possible for them to make the playoff, right? Like, Illinois is going to always have a hard problem. And now you add four new programs that are better uh, than you into this into this conference. Wazoo gets to hang out in a different kind of schedule. You still get to play a lot of fun regional games. Boise will be fun for them. I mean, Wyoming's close proximity that that'll be fun. I will like to see that you talk about like not getting packed to after dark. I think Wazoo will still be on late night games that are going to be really fun. Like I think Wazoo Boise will be cool. I think Wazoo Oregon state still will be cool. Um, I don't know. I think I'm still buying stock and I think it, it might, it still sucks at Wazoo. It looks like they're getting left behind in this new era, but I think they're like if you t- if you told me which of uh, you had to rank most likely CFP appearances in the next three years of all the teams who just left the Pac-12, like I think at Wazoo would be in that top three to four of all those schools. Like I think you look at it like Oregon, yeah. I mean, we'll see with Washington how it goes. Like the recruiting has not been great. We'll see how long Jed Fish is there, but they're in a super conference now. UCLA, I mean, it, good luck uh, in this conference. Cal, good luck in the ACC. Stanford, good luck. I mean, Utah is now moving into the Big 12. Utah with some big and boys. Arizona, probably ahead of Washington State. Um, I think the schedule, though, is going to be nice for them every year. And they've shown that they can win a lot of games. They're a solid program. They're well coached. They have a fun offense. I don't know. I just think Wazoo making the CFP in the next three years would not be the least, would not be shocking to me at all. That would not be shocking to you? No. Uh, so you are you putting them ahead of Oregon State? I think I am. I think I believe more. I don't like the Oregon State internal hire there with Bray. I don't. We'll see how that goes. See, I, wasn't would, I would be buying Oregon State way ahead of Washington State. They just feel like a way more legit football program. Like I don't. I don't know. Like, Washington State's been really, really good over the last thirty mm-hmm. years. Matt Green. We've had Cam Ward for the last couple years, and this team still wasn't very good. I mean, they were really good at the beginning. Did then they fall off a cliff? I don't remember their schedule right away. Um, here, uh, I think they were like a six-win team this year. They had a tough schedule, but I'm looking at let's see the where are they at all time. They're actually, you know, what's amazing? Their all-time record is five seventy-four, five seventy-four, and forty-five. Dead five hundred, oh, no. sir. So at least they got that going for them. They're literally the definition. They're the, of uh, they're the Chargers the, of the Pac-12. They really are. But I mean, I just. I don't know. My like, you've had the Ryan Leafs, the Bledsoe's over the years. Obviously, um, you've had some big time coaches uh, come through there. I don't know. I just think they're going to be good. Mike Leach was 50, 55 and forty seven there. Jake Dickard is fourteen and nine uh, to this point. Um, Mike Price, obviously a legendary guy, eighty three and seventy eight um, at uh, Wazoo for th- thirteen years. But I don't know. I'm just look. I'm buying some Wazoo stock. You don't have to join me, but I'm buying some Wazoo stock. You're uh, you're on your own on that one, I'm afraid, sir. Hey, I do have a I do have a fun fact for you here when we're talking mm-hmm. Pac-12 conference realignment and whatnot. Did you know that the UCLA original mascot was the Grizzlies? I did and not. Know the that. reason they changed it was because they were joining the Pac whatever eight it was at the time, or however whatever it was called at that point. And Montana was already in the conference. Couldn't have two Grizzlies in the conference. So they changed the Bruins. Fun fact for you. 
Interesting. And that's the and whole thing when people are talking Montana. about, like, how do you leave behind blank? I'm like, well, Montana was left behind at one point. Yeah, everyone gets left behind at, so, at some point. Tulane was an SEC school. Yeah, Georgia Tech chose to uh, <laughs> to leave the SEC. Bobby Dodd wasn't feeling it. Mm. It just means more. Bobby Dodd, Tech, Tech, they weren't ready for it. I guess not, Matt Green. Um, I think it was like a legitimate like moral stance he was taking. Like hmm. the SEC was just, it was cutthroat. They played dirty or something like that. Or maybe it was something about the sportsmanship. Of, like he legit, like... Didn't want, didn't want to play in the SEC. Something about. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Uh, morally, I don't know. You can look hmm. it up. Bobby Dodd, uh, he made that decision. Probably cost tech millions of dollars. Billi- maybe billions. Uh, well, we'll see. Maybe they find their way in the super conference. Who knows? With conference realignment, who knows? Maybe Georgia Tech finds their way into the SEC. I think they're the reason that these ACC schools are trying to get out. It's it's the teams like Tech that aren't playing serious D1 football. Wow. The Georgia fan really coming out tonight. I'm uh, sorry. I'm, it's it's what they, they run in the triple option. It's what happened, man. They're They've, They're not serious. Uh, I'm very pro triple option on this program <laughs> and I think more should run it actually. Yeah. Um, Vanderbilt's for instance, like let hype run start running the triple option and see how much you like it. No, I mean, I, we're running, uh, Never mind. I'm not going down this rabbit hole with you. Um, <laughs> sec 2023 schedule review series, Matt green, before we get into our sec betting win totals that came out, uh, on bet online AG that we're going to discuss here with some early reactions to that. Um, but final one here, Mississippi state, uh, when you look at their 2023 schedule and the results, um, did they win enough, not enough, or just amount the right amount based on what we thought coming into the year and what they were capable of? Well, yeah. So you look at the, the schedule and like five and seven for, for Mississippi state seems about right. Right. Like that's obviously below their expectations. I don't know what their preseason win total was. It could have been six and a half or something. They, they could have underperformed. But it's like, I'm not really sure how well they're supposed to do. I would just say they underachieved because they have like the SEC all-time leader in passing yards. And he had a terrible season because the coach decided to change up the entire philosophy. Um, so from that perspective, like it's it, they definitely underperformed last year. But, you know, the Arizona win, like, early in the season, like, that was a good win. Like, at, by the end of the year, like, um, but, I mean, are, are you supposed to beat LSU and Bama and Auburn and A&M and Ole Miss? Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how many winnable games they really lost last year. 
that's the thing. And it, it was a disaster, obviously, because Zach Garnett um, gone. And then that whole report coming out that the Rogers family felt like they were lied to about like they were keeping the offense and then ended up not being kept. And then um, that just being a disaster, obviously, because the new office did not work. And like if it's not broke, don't fix it. And it should not have been changed um, based on what we saw this past year uh, in Starkville. But like you said, like I think two things can be true. I think the season um, was a disaster. They had to make a quick change here uh, to revitalize the program. And I think Levy was a solid hire for them. And I think he'll uh, be a solid uh, addition and get that offense humming uh, back in Stark uh, Starkville next year. But I mean, I think they, you and I both had them uh, near the bottom, but I had them as the worst team in the West. I went back and looked, I had them as the worst team last year. So I think it was always gonna be hard to replace a legend like Mike Leach and to do that on the fly. And, all the different circumstances involved here. But I think some people talk themselves into the return of Will Rogers and what he had done to that point uh, at Mississippi state. And that being enough to kind of hold the fort a little bit, because we've talked on this program, it's always a good bet to put Mississippi state somewhere in the middle of the West because they're never, they're never the worst. Like they always win a couple they we don't think they should. And they just kind of hang around in that uh, 500 zone in the sec West. But this past year, the bottom fell out and the offense was just, really bad rotating a lot of different quarterbacks and they were destroyed by injuries. But um, I don't know. I think Mississippi state ultimately were record wise where they should have been, but it was also the way it looked and all the different th- variables involved that um, also came out and why they're resetting uh, yet again in 2024. Yeah. I mean, the, the most points they scored in an sec game in the last what five games of the year was 13. Uh, against Auburn like and they won one of those against Arkansas seven to three but yeah like like you said like they they seem to always find a way to finish like fourth or fifth uh win a few conference games but the Arkansas that was the only conference win a, a year ago so I'm curious to see uh what Jeff Lebby does it, it feels like they had a winning blueprint at Mississippi State it's like we need to kind of be doing something different offensively you know try to score some points um you saw dan mullen have success you saw mike leach have some success so if they can get back to doing that then then yeah maybe they can start going to bowl games again and i think they will i i think mississippi state's in, headed in the right direction once again and i think uh i think they'll be just fine uh in the next couple of years sir um as e to a and m is that after the jimbo firing was that the first game i want to say i, I have to go know. back and look but yeah AM was a, a train wreck on offense all year. No, AM wasn't a train wreck on offense. They were cooking with Connor Wegman healthy early in the year. Connor was cooking. AM was definitely underperforming offensively. I don't think that's true. They were dialing up against my, Miami with Wegman before he went down. Um, the, would you say the Petrino Jimbo Fisher thing was a success? No, but I also, it's a huge what if. We don't know what Connor Wegman would have done. Uh, for a full they were season. 101st in the country in points per game oh wait no i'm looking at 2022 they were 25th in the country in points per game hold on what but- i'm saying though they open with a win 52 to 10 against new mexico um score 52 points there and then 33 when wegman got hurt no that's they were definitely worse once wegman got hurt but i mean there is a lot of subpar offensive performances the 50 spot was the outlier against yeah against mississippi state for sure yeah, that was but no, good. the offense wasn't that bad. 25th in the country, all th- 33 points a game. Now we- we've seen much worse. 
Yeah, I'm not going to do that. You're not going to do it. No, no. Not on this podcast, Matt Green. A&M has some <laughs> issues, but offense is not one of them, especially talent. Um, SEC betting win totals, though. They are out here on Bet Online AG this week, Matt Green. And um, I thought this was a really interesting early um, look ahead to what uh, Vegas and the insiders see when it comes to um, how the SEC is going to look now with the Super Conference with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the fall. But my first uh, question to you, when you look at uh, all 16 teams here represented uh, with their betting win totals here in the future props, what is the which total for you is the most shocking when you look at this, Matt Green? Well, for one, I was like, ooh, Georgia, 10 and a half, huh? We haven't seen Georgia at 10 and a half in a few years. Um, but I think the the one that hadn't really hit me yet is Missouri sitting at hmm. nine and a half. That just seeing Missouri ahead of Tennessee, ahead of Oklahoma, like I don't know if I'm ready for that. Like I know what they got coming back. Like they were a pretty good team last year. Um, but I'm like, I'm not ready to just pencil them in for, for 10 wins again. And like nine at the worst. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. Is Missouri, is Missouri at nine wins being a like disappointing year level at this point? I wonder what the fans too, like, what are the fans expectations here? Because obviously you have a breakthrough year. Look, no offense to Columbia and the fans, but it's a sleepy place to play. Uh, more often than not, I don't think it's like a, of the most um, passionate fan bases in the SEC. I don't think they're ever going to rank near the top, but I do wonder where their heads are at, because obviously they had a lot of early success when they came into uh, the SEC, went in the East multiple times right out of the gate here. Um, but they obviously slid uh, a little bit after that, and they've struggled to find their footing. And now the East is away. They don't play Tennessee this year, um, so unfortunately Tennessee will not get revenge uh, at home in Neyland, uh this particular season. But I wonder, do you, if you're a Mizzou fan, do, have you pivoted where you're like, oh look at where Drinkwitz is? Like we hire well, we got Kirby Moore in here. We just lost our DC, but we paid and we're still we're going to be okay because like losing Baker might be a huge deal uh, for Mizzou to lose uh, a big time DC to LSU like that. We'll see if the defense is just as good as what they were a year ago. But Kirby Moore, uh, Kellen's brother, was a huge addition to that offense last year, and he's back, so you're able to retain him for yet another year in Columbia. Brady Cook back for uh, what feels like his seventh college football season. Um, Luther Burden back, obviously, is a big deal for them. But I think, to me, and I mean, I don't even know if I mentioned that huge endowment or donation they got like this past month, so that huge investment into the athletics program um biggest ever um do you remember that matt green like mizzou got that, that right? huge that they got a gigantic it was like 62 million or something um donation so they uh mizzou is They're trying to play they big had, boy ball they are and that's the whole thing is what you're saying where it's like it's just kind of weird to see mizzou up there with the big dogs and vegas and people just expecting them to run this back um next year and i'm very curious if that's the expectation or fans are still like hey like we're fine <laughs> if we're eight and four we're still hey it, we understand that the sec's loaded and like we're gonna texas and oklahoma are coming in like it's gonna get harder and look we had a great year last year but maybe that's only something that happens every three to four or they're like hey we broke through we're we're 
part of the big dogs now. We're uh, we're one of the five best programs in the SEC. This, that, and the other. I'm very curious at the, where the fans' heads are at with Mizzou. Well, and I think the schedule definitely plays a role in this number being as high as it is. Uh, it's funny because you know we we kind of talked about the East and West through the years that like you know I'd love to see Auburn in the East and see you know how much success they could have playing in a weaker division or you know maybe Kentucky at times like. They're, they're not as good as their record looks. You put them over in the West and they're not going to be good. There's been a lot of, you know, maybe disrespecting Georgia for, you know, they wouldn't be in the SC championships as many times if they had to go through the West. So you're seeing Missouri now, you know, the schedule kind of, we anticipate it getting more difficult because, you know, instead of being in the weaker SC East, now they're going to play everybody, but now they don't have to play Georgia next year. And they do, they go at Alabama but if there's ever a year you could pick to go at Alabama, I mean, it's 2024. Like we don't, they could be a top 10 team, top five team next year, but this is the most, this is the most uncertainty they've had in, in 20 years, basically. Um, and then they go at AM, like another team that's like super talented and will be a difficult road game. But if those are the two toughest road games you got all season, those are beatable opponents. Like those aren't teams that we, we necessarily anticipate being like top five, top 10 teams next year. If you're a fan, these are those schedules that I would just be so annoyed because they don't play a real game until October 5th, October yeah. 5th, Matt green, like they're opening with Murray state, Buffalo, Boston college, Vandy, and then a bye before they go to AM. Boston college is a little, at least you're playing like an, a power five team, like a major conference team. You know, it's like something you can get excited about like the Buffalo and Murray state games. Yeah. You're, you're playing backups, but you can at least be excited, especially you got to get revenge uh, after Boston college won a couple years ago. That's true. This feels like a nine and three scheduled me. I would hit the under right now. We're not doing our over unders yet, but this looks like nine and three to me. Yeah, I don't know. I could see this team winning 10 games because, I mean, just just thinking about what they were a year ago, like Luther Burden has, has got that potential to be like, like, this is a loaded wide receiver class this past year. Mm-hmm. Like seeing this NFL draft stuff coming out, like there's five, six guys up there at the top that are all elite. Like Luther Burden could be the best receiver in college football in 2024. And Brady Cook, we saw how good he was at times uh, last year too. So Missouri, I, I wouldn't sleep on them, but you're right. It's something about betting on Missouri to win 10 games that doesn't, I don't feel great about that bet either. No, uh, but it's a good schedule. Nonetheless, I think that's a, you feel good if you're a Mizzou fan. Who, uh, it's who also like, to you? oh, go ahead. If they win 10, are they in the playoff? I think they're in the playoff, right? Um, I guess it depends on the, on the 10 they win. Mm. Do, well, does it like, cause if it, a&M, Alabama, and Oklahoma, I think, are their big three games. Mm-hmm. Like, if you lose two of those three, you don't have many key wins. Like, I it might depend um, because, mm-hmm. you know, because you're looking at them. Like, last year, do they get in? Uh, or does, like, Ole Miss and Penn State get in last year? You know, they were, like, 11-12, yeah. but when you get talk, start talking automatic qualifiers and the at-large, I'm not sure if if they if they do get in with those. I think those 10-2 and two teams – um, you got to have a good win or two on the schedule. I like it. Uh, Matt Green, next. Which is the best by now? 
bet for you. So for all Matt Green's friends listening right here, who is your recommendation on the best? Like you're not going to, this might move a little bit. This is the one to jump on right now. Like either the over or the under on these win totals. Who is it for you? Um, I'm going to leave out Georgia because I mm-hmm. really don't see a scenario of Georgia losing more than one game. I know the schedule is really tough next year, but I think Georgia is going to be really good next year. But but leaving out Georgia, oh man, it, this is tough. Like the Oklahoma seven and a half feels really low. Like I know they're coming to the SEC and I, I don't know what to expect from them. That one feels low. A&M at eight and a half also feels high, like with, with year, year one under Mike Elko. So those are probably two that stand out to me. But but yeah, there's, there's some tough numbers in here. I think the OU jumped out to me like seven and a half seems low based on especially the expectations of fans. I think fans will. That's a huge L if you're seven and five in year three. Right. We're year three now. Correct. With Venables. Or is this year two? No, this is year three. That's what I thought. This will be year three. That's a big year for him. And I don't know, like you made a lot of progress in year two. Calm some nerves. Dylan Gabriel off to Oregon. But Jackson Arnold, we'll see what he looks like as the guy. Um, Was kind of spotty in the bowl game, but I think that's not a big deal. You lose Jeff Levy, your OC to Mississippi State. Now you got two uh, co-OCs there in staff that you promoted. So there shouldn't be a drop off there. I think DeMarco Murray is their running backs coach, if I remember correctly. But they have talent. They've recruited really well under Venables, top 10 uh, just about every year. Um, and they that hasn't fallen off. But I think seven, like, I would be very surprised if they're a seven and five team. I like that one as like a buy now because I think the seven and, and a half is weirdly low um, for Oklahoma because I think Jackson Darnold has a lot of talent. I think the offense should be good. They've recruited really well. I think they're going to be okay uh, in the SEC. I, I just, I wouldn't I, worry um, about that yet. And when you look at the uh, schedule, I'm gonna, I might take my answer back uh, now. Looking at the schedule, sir, I like they were ten and three last year. You know, they mm-hmm. definitely saw a huge improvement from year one to year two in Venables. But you got Tennessee, you got mm-hmm. at Auburn, you got. Texas, you got at Ole Miss, you got at Missouri, you got Alabama, you got at LSU. Like, I don't know, man. This, that's a brutal schedule they're getting in the first year in the SEC. Like, I think there was like a, a market correction, you know, just going from the Big 12 to the SEC that maybe you take a win or two away from that. But they've got they've got to have uh, one of the toughest schedules in the entire conference next year. Well, I think what's worse is you get like they have a buy, thankfully, in between Mizzou and Bama, but Bama and LSU to close the year is oh, that's their last two games. Yeah, it's uh, it's brutal for sure. Like, like with what Ole Miss and Missouri are expecting to be next year and Auburn is like the ultimate wild card in the entire SEC. I think they kind of are every year. Um, but but Tennessee kind of feels like the same type of wild card, except for they don't have the same floor that Auburn has. Like Tennessee actually could be a college football playoff team next year. And, you know, Josh Heupel coming to Norman like that, that game's just going to have massive implications. Like I uh, it's going to be tough for them to not have like three or four losses before they get to November. 
I mean, maybe. I think that's very fair. I mean, it's a tougher schedule, but like people worry about it. It's like they beat Texas last year. Um, I think I they have more talent than Ole Miss. They have more talent than South Carolina, and they get them at home. Do they? All, yeah. Do they have more talent than Ole Miss? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Ole Miss is top-end talent. Ole Miss is good. Don't get me wrong. I, I like Ole Miss. But I think as a whole, if I had to do a whole composite of the talent on both teams, I would say Oklahoma has more talent than Ole Miss. Um, where I, I guess I skipped Ole Miss when I was writing these teams down. Where was Ole Miss? Uh, they're was also at nine and a half. They're at nine and a half. See that that feels about right. Like they mm-hmm. feel like I, I don't know which way to go with them. Honestly. Well, is that your answer for hardest to get a feel for here? Is Old Miss at nine and a half the hardest one? Oh, I think so because they feel like a team that could easily go ten and two. Shoot, they could go eleven and one. Like they have some serious like ceiling potential next year. But I'm not going to be surprised at all if this team goes nine and three, eight and four because it's Old Miss. Like it's not. I mean, I guess I got to look through the schedule. Like it's not. It's not a gauntlet. You got at LSU, at Florida. Is that going to be a tough game? Do we even know? Um, and obviously they got Georgia. They got Oklahoma on the schedule. It's not the most difficult uh, schedule in the SEC, but obviously you, you potentially have the number one team in the country um, potentially in November. So it, it's not easy. And you still got to go to Death Valley. So I just Ole Miss, I'm starting to buy the drink the Kool-Aid more than I ever have. You know I've been hating on Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss being fraudulent the last couple years. Um, but I mean, th- as far as top end talent, like this, this seems like everything coming together. Alabama, for one, being weaker, but also not being on their schedule. Like that's that's gonna do wonders. Um, but yeah, I think Ole Miss, I'm still hesitant to to go over the nine and a half, though. You just are waiting. Like what's going to happen is Old Miss is going to be like nine and three, 10 and two for years under Lane Kiffin. And you're like, I don't know. You're like Tony Roma when it comes to Old Miss and Lane Kiffin. You're just it, it doesn't matter what Old Miss does year in, year out with under Lane Kiffin. You're just going to be like, I don't know, Jim. Like, I don't know, Chase. It's just there's something about Old Miss. I just can't completely buy in. Matt, they were in the playoff two straight years. I don't know. There's just something that doesn't feel sustainable about Ole Miss. I don't know. You've got to, you're just never going to dip all, you're always going to dip your toe into Ole Miss. You're never jumping in the deep end. With hey, Kippen. no, see, that's not even true. I wasn't even dipping my toe in. I was, I was confident that they were overrated, that, you know, Matt Corral's numbers were inflated versus, versus inferior competition early in the season. You know, I was, I was definitely not. I I think the 10 and 3, 8 and 5, 11 and 2 the last 3 years, I would have said they're not as good as their record has indicated over the last 3 seasons, right? With mm. with 2023 being by far I think the 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 best team of, of this last 3 seasons. But if they do it, I'm starting to put a toe in. This is the first time I'm really giving them a chance. So I'm starting to be like, okay, they might Lane Kiffin might be the guy. So if they let me down this year, then yeah, I might, I might jump off permanently. Oh, wow. Why though? What's it falling off? Like if they go nine and three, are you like fraudulent? Like what is it going to take for them? Well, I mean, think about if they go nine and three though, like who are their good wins? Like if they go nine Hmm. and three and lose to LSU, Oklahoma and Georgia, then it's like, okay, well you beat Kentucky and South Carolina. Cool. Your quarterback put up some big numbers versus, mtsu and Furman, 
that's fine. And you guys, you won some games and you finished ranked 21st. Like, that's fine. Like, I, I don't know. I think their schedule is a little easier this year. It's And with how much talent they've gotten in the portal, this kind of does feel like the year for, for Ole Miss that they, they kind of need to, to win something substantial this year. Alabama, Nick Saban aren't in the way anymore. No, but we'll see. I, I think Ole Miss, look, I, I'm buying a lot of Ole Miss talk this year. So I think um, I think they'll be all right. Um, but I do like think one of Mizzou and I, Ole Miss has to fall off. Like those nine again? and a half for LSU, Ole Miss, and Mizzou, someone has to underachieve kind of big of those three. Oh, yeah. Um, of those three, I think the one most likely. Man, I, those are all three tough numbers for me. Because I, I think you just want to naturally say LSU, but like they lost the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, and that defense was awful. Like I don't expect their defense to be awful every year, but things are kind of lining up for Ole Miss and, and Missouri. It feels like better than they are for LSU going into 2024. LSU's just kind of got a certain level they always operate at because they get better talent consistently than those two schools. That's fair. Um, Tennessee, does the eight and a half feel right to you, Matt Green? Yeah, I think nine and a half would definitely be too high. Um, Cause Tennessee, Eight, eight wins definitely seems like a possibility. They feel like a nine and three team. Uh, if if I had to if I had to pick going into next year, I think they have a lot of things going for them. But I think the schedule is still going to be be tough to to win more than nine games. But I I mean I would be surprised. I I would say I I would be surprised if they went under. If they won eight games, I, I would be surprised. What about you? Well, I mean I think we'll know if they're a playoff team after Bama because they have the bye the week after Bama in between uh, Kentucky and Bama. Um, they have three straight home games there with Bama, Kentucky, Mizzou, or Mississippi State before they go to Georgia and they finish with UTEP and, and Vandy. Like, I think what's imperative is they can't drop the neutral site in game two to NC State. Like, I think UT Chattanooga might be a Thursday night. It says Saturday for right now, but I, I think there's a possibility that moves to Thursday. So you might get a week in a couple days um, to prepare for that. Um at Oklahoma, obviously, is going to be a big game, but I don't think that's a must-win if you want to make the playoff. Like, I think Wait, what's getting moved to Thursday? The UT Chattanooga game. Oh, okay. It's on a Saturday because they've done the the Thursday night opener two of the last three years. They didn't do it last year, but I would not be surprised from what I've heard that they uh, might move that. Uh, big time programs don't play on Thursday night. It's a better. It's a. It's better for fans all around because you get to get it out of the way. The college football is played on Saturdays, sir. Tell that to Maction and everything else. No, college ball is whenever it wants to play. No, I do um, miss the days of, uh, of of South Carolina being in like a quality SEC game on Thursday nights. They seem, Steve, the Steve Spurrier era, they seem to really embrace that. I feel like I have a lot of records. But it feels like a tier below. It feels like, like Saturday, Thursday college football is like, eh, it's a tier below. I feel like I remember Louisville and Rutgers having a lot of big Thursday night, big East games. Yeah, Louisville's big time Thursday night team. Like Louisville, Virginia Tech feels like mm -hmm. a Thursday night game. Big East used to own that. Um, I don't think at Arkansas will be a big deal. Like you can drop the Oklahoma game and still have the playoff right in front of you. I think Florida, you'll be favored at home. That will be good. Is I think the playoff comes down to Bama at home. Like if you beat Bama at home again, um, Tennessee's a playoff team. 
If you drop that one, I think they're nine and three and they miss um, the playoff. So this is a really, really nice schedule. It's very even for Tennessee. Um, it's not like that you have this back to back, just slug fest. Like some of these other schools have, I think you get to a little bit of a break in between Georgia and Bama. Um, obviously you get a break in between Oklahoma and Bama. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be hard to beat Florida and Bama back to back. Like, I don't know if that's ever happened where they've played them back to back. I feel like that's a no. Um, those are going to be I two would very say no way. Cause yeah. Florida on October 12th just looks so weird, but at home, I think they'll be fine against Florida, but you have to beat Florida at home. And those are always going to go down to the wire and it's always gonna be weird uh, with Tennessee, Florida. But a lot of it also just comes down to Nico. Like if Nico's a Heisman finalist and plays like one, then Tennessee should be able to get to 10 and two, um, even with year one. I mean, he's not a true freshman. He sat behind Joe all year. Um, he's got all the talent in the world. He's got the most probable. He's definitely got the most upside of any quarterback in the country. Um, he was number one overall uh, two years ago in recruiting rankings for a reason. Um, I, I just, we'll have to see it. Like if he can stay healthy, we're going to see with the wide receivers. You could bring back basically the whole offensive line. Um, that's all huge. Um, but yeah, I think this is a schedule I would hit over right now. I would be very surprised if this is an eight and four team based on where Tennessee got to. Cause Tennessee, if you remember, they got to eight and four with, um, a very, very difficult season this year. Um, and then finishing nine and four, I think with, the up and down nature of last year and for Hypel to still get eight wins out of um, where they were um, with injuries and just uh, multiple uh, situations as to why they kind of regressed in a multitude of ways. They still were eight and four and Hypel still won a lot of games um, with this group last year in one of the more frustrating seasons. I think that to me just screams there's going to be improvement there. So I would be very surprised if they're not a nine plus one team. So I think nine and three should be considered the floor for fans. I think 10 and two should be the goal. And that's a, that's a playoff team. Yeah. And I like how this, this schedule, like you were saying, how it progresses, like with NC state early on, it's like a, like I was saying with Missouri, Boston college, Mm -hmm. it's like, I think NC state where they might be ranked, right? I Mm think they're showing a, a a ranked number next to them looking at them right now. I think they will be preseason top 25. So, I mean, that's a it's a quality matchup at Oklahoma. Like, that's going to be a big-time SEC. Is that their first game in the SEC? Um, I believe maybe so. Maybe it's one of them, if not, if not the first. So, mm. you're having two SEC road games um, before you even get to Florida and, and Alabama. So, I th- and like we, we said about Alabama, like, we don't really know what to expect from Alabama in, in 2024. So, um, the one thing, and obviously you go at Georgia next year, um, the one thing that I'm curious to see, like it didn't matter. I mean, it mattered in terms of like, you know, dollars and cents um, in the BCS era, but it didn't really matter. Like there'd be years where um, let's say a year, like what was it? 2012 Georgia lost Georgia and Florida both went or had one loss. Right. And Georgia went to the SEC championship, lost the SEC championship for their second loss of the season. And then at that point, Florida is ranked higher and Florida goes to the Sugar Bowl. I think they played Louisville that year. And so the team that had a worse season is the one that got to go to the better bowl game. And when it was the BCS year and it was about what bowl game you go to, like, that's fine. But if Tennessee is sitting at like a 10 and two and they have to play Georgia or something a second in time and and lose and go 10 and three, I really want to see how the committee 
deals with that. And those teams that lose the conference championship games versus the teams that didn't even play in them, because I I just I don't want us to be penalizing those teams too heavily when they have one extra loss because they were better than that team. Like so, I'm I'm curious to see what the committee does with something like that because I think Tennessee is a team that's could look at a ten and two type season and potentially have a rematch with Georgia. That I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but that's a possibility. There, it's going to get weird. I guarantee you the end of this college football season is going to be a mess in terms of who gets in and like at large stuff. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a mess, um, but we'll see how it all plays out. I think the story here, Matt Green, though, and we'll end here. Texas and Georgia, Texas, let me emphasize Texas and Georgia at 10 and a half a piece atop the SEC. They're on equal footing in Vegas's eyes. Does that feel right to you coming into 2024, Matt Green? Um, I would say a lot of it's about the schedule. Um, I think Georgia's got one of the tougher schedules in the SEC, other than the fact they don't have to play Georgia. That 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 makes their schedule a little bit easier. But they kind of uh, I think kind of split hairs is the fact that Georgia's playing at Texas. So if you're talking win probability, you might be giving Texas the nod there if, if you're Vegas because they are at home. But we know Georgia's got to go at Texas, at um, at Texas, at Alabama, has Clemson in the opener. Um, Ole Miss, they'll play. That That's on the road too, right? At Ole Miss. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's on the road with three uh, preseason top 10 teams. So, um, and then another one away from home in a neutral site. So I think um, I think a lot of it's about Georgia's schedule, and that's they seem more prone to being a two-loss team than we've seen. They haven't been a two-loss team since, what, 2020? Um, and I think that's the only year they've lost two regular season games in the last, like, seven, eight years. So um, I think Georgia, Georgia still, I think, is going to be ranked higher uh, by pretty much everybody in the preseason. Um, but I think you're going to see Texas in that like two preseason two, three, four spot. So I, I think the schedule plays a big factor in it, but I think Texas is, you know, hitting the SEC at the right time. Well, I also think it's kind of funny that they're just so they're built so similar. Like you look at how both programs are built right now. Quinn Ewers and Carson Beck, the two best pro-style quarterbacks going into next year. I mean, they might go 1-2 in the draft um, going into 2025. C.J. Baxter, Trevor ATM, two big lead backs. Um, I think both will get some Heisman looks depending on how their seasons go, but I think they're both going to get a bunch of opportunity behind two great teams, and they'll be in a lot of situations where they're going to have an opportunity to feast. A lot of depth from transfers at the receiver spot so isaiah bond moving over to texas and then you also get uh silas bolden from um oregon state who's going to occupy that other spot so two of the three uh wide receivers for texas will be transfers uh starters and then obviously um oh matthew golden too from houston transfer so all three of texas's receivers will be transfers actually um because they lose a lot with worthy and company and whittington and all those guys so they're having to replace a lot of production but Texas is just the defense proved that they were legit last year. They obviously just made the final four um, right there till the end. Big comeback against Washington um, almost pulled it off there. And you look at it. 
I think they are pretty evenly matched on paper. It's just kind of funny when you are like, I'm looking at different forecasts for the roster and what both look like. I think they both look like the two best teams in the SEC. And I think those are like Bama. You had your run. Bama is not the cream of the crop in the conference anymore with Texas coming in here. I think the two juggernauts for the foreseeable future until proven otherwise is Texas and Georgia. And I think they're right now um, the two teams to beat going into 2024. Um, And look, Sarkeesian getting a bump this week uh, in salary and everything else. And you see how Texas is done in the recruiting trail. And you have Arch sitting right behind Quinn where he's going to get two years, it looks like, to sit and get ready uh, to take over. Same kind of thing at Georgia where they have five-star, four-star quarterbacks who are willing to sit and wait for a couple years for their opportunity like Carson Beck just did, Gunnar Stockton figures to do the same thing. I don't know. I just think it's interesting that they're built in a very, very similar fashion. And I think those right now, 10 and a half for both feels right to me. Yeah, that is a, that is kind of interesting. Like you, I was looking at preseason Heisman odds the other day and, or someone had just, just quarterback rankings the other day. And I was kind of shocked at how kind of many, how few proven quarterbacks we have in college football next year. Like, Hmm. It feels like Quinn Ewers and Carson Beck are two guys that would be in that top five conversation like most years. But right now they feel like they're head and shoulders above, I would say, every other quarterback in college football going into 2024. But one game I think we're sleeping on as crazy as it is it as it sounds, Texas goes at Michigan next year. And mm. I think Michigan's not going to be as good, but I mean, that's on the on the road against the reigning national champions. So that's not going to affect uh, their ability to to play for the SEC championship, obviously. But um, that that's a that's another big time game uh, on on this uh, on this schedule. Where do you lean? Who do you think is better right now? Who is the more the safer ten and a half over of the two? I think the safer one is probably Georgia because. Okay. If they lose at Texas, like I think there's a chance that that's the best team they play all season and then they run the table. Um, Texas, obviously, we just said they have at Michigan. Oh, they lost Oklahoma a year ago, and obviously Georgia's coming to them. Um, I don't know. I guess it's just with Georgia, you go back to 2017. What is that? 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, seven seasons. Georgia's had more than one loss one time in the last seven seasons in the regular season. So if you're banking on a team to go 11 and one in the regular season, Georgia is usually a good bet to do that. Um, Texas, have they arrived at that team that we can expect it to be there every single year? I think we're, we're going to find out in 2024. I, I don't know if I'm ready to, to bet on them every single year. I think I'm there. I mean, I think a lot of it will be how long Sark's there, you know, um, if he's there and he's able to keep building. But I don't know. I'm pretty, pretty optimistic about what Texas has building. Um, also, the last thing I didn't even mention, um, Texas at Texas A&M, the final game of the season. Yeah. Like, you don't think that energy, that atmosphere is going to be absolutely bonkers. Like, these teams have not played since 2011. Like, it's one of the biggest rivalries in college football that's just been brewing. We got we had West Virginia Pittsburgh. We saw what that was after the layover. Like you uh this that that place is going to be insane. 
And you, you see a lot of teams by the end of year one, they start to gel and, you know, kind of come together, kind of like those one and done freshmen in college basketball by the end of, by the tournament, you know, they're basically sophomores at, at that point. So by the end of year one of Mike Elko, this team could be coming together and, and at Texas A&M is definitely going to be a, a hostile environment. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Um, well, we shall see, Matt Green. We shall see. But that's all I've got right now. Uh, that's fun. That was a fun exercise. And we'll get into some other betting totals and over-unders and that uh, in this offseason. But uh, this will be fun for uh, this week's show. But uh, thank you, as always, my friend. And uh, I will talk to you next week. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.